Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 208 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a software developer who shares what he learns with others through presentations, blogs, demos, and code. He is a self-proclaimed typed pure functional programming zealot, but often compromises on his ideals to just get things done. And as well as being the co-author of First Steps in Flex and the creator of the first Java hosting service back in 1997, he helped to launch the Reactive Manifesto. So welcome to the podcast, James Ward. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And 208, wow, that's a lot. It's quite a few now, yes. It's been great fun to do, um, and I enjoy talking to new people all the time. So yes, I'm glad you could join me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So a couple of things I wanted to ask you about in your uh, sort of the intro just now. Um, Reactive Manifesto is not something I've come across. Yeah, so this is something we launched when I was at a company that was called TypeSafe and is now called Lightband, and they're the company behind Scala. And so we were trying to figure out, like, what is it that makes Scala and some of these other products around Scala unique and useful and was kind of the interesting piece to them. And we identified this thing that we called reactive or that other people were calling reactive. And we're like, oh, that's a good word for this. And so we created this thing called the reactive manifesto to define what the traits of a reactive system are. And it has its roots in event-driven programming, kind of Erlang stuff, and really ultimately just trying to make software that's more resilient to errors, make software that can recover from those errors automatically, uh, and then be more efficient in the resources that it's actually using. So kind of tried to capture all the things that, that the software we were building was useful for and why it was interesting. And the other thing you mentioned was you're a self-proclaimed typed pure functional programming zealot. So (laughs) could you maybe give us some insights into that? Yeah. My roots were in programming with Perl, really, was when I first started professionally programming. And that's definitely not a typed language. And then I got into Java, which is a typed programming language, which I found great to have a compiler there that could do some work for me and validate things for me. And so I continued on that type programming journey, but then discovered functional programming and then combining functional programming with type programming. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is the way. There's nothing better for me in terms of how I build programs than typed functional programming. Um, still so using the object-oriented background, but then being able to weave functional programming into it. And it just has, has been a much better way for me to build software. And so I've, I've become a bit of a zealot in that respect. But at the same time, there I, I definitely have to sometimes write code that doesn't follow that zealotry. Just yeah. the last couple of days, I wrote some code that I'm not proud of, but I had to do it to get something done. You know? yes. So so definitely uh, there's the ideals and then there's reality. Yeah, absolutely. So the urgency of getting something completed as, as opposed to sticking to your principles. 
Yeah, and sometimes you have constraints that don't allow you to stick to your principles. So, for example, this project I was working on recently was using Java 7, and Java 7 doesn't have support for some of the more functional features. And so I just like can't really do the functional programming stuff in this particular code base because of some external constraint. So, so totally get it. You know, we don't all live in in the world where we can live out our ideals, but it, it sure is fun when I get to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So James, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not know and perhaps should? Yeah. You know, one thing that's made a big difference for me is finding a community that I want to be part of. And so for a lot of my career, that's been the Java community or things related to the Java community, like the Scala community. But then not just being part of that community, but finding ways that I can actually help make that community better. And that's been something that for me has made a big difference in in my progress because when I'm out there trying to make a community better, one, like people are seeing that and they're able to, to then appreciate and recognize what I'm doing. It's fulfilling for me to get recognized for this work that I'm doing to make a community better. And so this could be documentation. This could be code samples, blog posts. Like there's so many different ways in the programming world to help a community be better. And uh, there's people that sit back and just take, and that's fine. And then there's people that criticize things about the community, but don't really do anything to make it better. And, and so for me, it's been really rewarding to be part of these programming communities and then also contribute to them to make them better. Sure. What would you recommend to anybody who wanted to maybe start out doing that? How would that, how should you approach it? I think local meetups can be a really good way to do that to plug in with a community and start building relationships and start to understand what are the needs in the community? What's lacking? What are, what are people complaining about? What are, where are people falling down and because there's not a good blog post or good documentation or a good YouTube video or something like that that can help move people forward? Where are the roadblocks? So meetups are, are a fantastic place to do that. And then the, the usual social channels can be a great place to discover those opportunities as well. So whether it's on Twitter, or LinkedIn groups, or or wherever, lots of lots of good places. But, but yeah, and there's so many friendly people out there that want to help, and so it, it can be really also help you just become better by being part of a community. And in my case, in the Scala functional programming community, there's this guy John DeGoes, and he is just so good at like handholding people like me who don't really get it, you know, <laughs> through some hard things. And and uh, he does that for so many people. And so you always find those those people in a community. And so I hope to be one of those people myself as I grow and, and learn. But yeah, meetups, uh, online communities, and definitely has to be related to something you're passionate about. So in my case, I'm passionate about functional programming. So that's a lot of the communities that I hang out around now. But yeah, that's, that's where I'd go. Yeah. Okay, great. So James, can you maybe tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? There's been some fun ones. One that comes to mind was I was at Adobe and was working on a programming technology called Flex. And uh, I love Flex. It was a fantastic UI programming technology. It was doing really well. But there was some improvements coming to the web, to HTML and CSS and JavaScript, which were threatening flex and i was fine fine with the web and the improvements that were happening there there definitely were, were good improvements but i also did really like flex the, the programming model and so i um saw that there was kind of this this momentum building out in the the, the world 
behind the web. And a lot of companies were, were out there, startups saying, you know, we're going to bet our future on the web, you know, basically on JavaScript and HTML and CSS. And there was a lot of people at Adobe who were saying like, oh, you know, that'll never work. You know, this, this web thing's never, never going to pan out. Building web applications, like, no, like, like Flash and Flex, they're going to be the only way forever. And I was like, you know, this is really a problem for Flex. And so I proposed to our management that we need to, to do some, a few things about this. Um, I made a few proposals. One was to take Flex and have it target the web platform so that people could port their applications easily to the web and keep the same programming model. And unfortunately, the management didn't agree with me on the direction that they should take Flex and, and Flash. And uh, you probably know um, the history of what happened to Flash. And it's uh, it uh, isn't on the iPhone and has really fallen off of the IT world. And so it was a huge loss that I think wasn't really, uh, we could have gone a different direction. And so for me to not be able to convince management of what was down the road and some changes that we could make to deal with that was disappointing for me because, you know, I eventually I left Adobe because I'm like, well, you know, this technology is going downhill and there, you know, I had to go find a, a greener pasture somewhere. So, so yeah, it was, it was a bummer, but, um, but I, I definitely learned a lot from it on how to influence executives and decision makers and how by, you know, not doing it successfully. <laughs> um, and I, I think that now I'm a little bit better at it and do more. I think my arrogance and ego kind of got in the way a lot where I would just tell people like, you know, you're wrong and, and I'm right and here's the future. And, and, and now I think that I'm, I'm better at not taking that kind of arrogant approach <laughs> and uh, instead trying to just help educate people and, and help them help them see the world the way that I see it. And sometimes what that means is taking these decision makers to the people that I'm interacting with, the people that are shaping my worldview and connecting them so that then they can start to, their worldview can shift to be more like mine. And so it's not as much about me being right. It's really about me helping people see the world differently. So yeah, that was something I learned from that experience. It's interesting to hear. I mean, we, we talk a lot about different technologies and, and different career skills, but it, eventually it all comes down to to people and interaction and communication. And, and you've just sort of cited a good example of why sometimes communication doesn't always work in the way you'd hope it work would work. And the logic that you may have in your mind about how something will progress isn't necessarily how somebody else sees it. That's right. Yeah, and it's... it. it maybe it's taken me, I'm now 41. It's taken me a long time, like maybe 39 years to realize that other people don't see the world the way that I do. And that if I want to help them see something differently, then I need to approach that in the same way that people help me see the world differently, which is usually not through arrogant statements and instead through education and relationships and those sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah. Taking people on a journey with you and trying to, to sort of set set the basics in place and then explain and build that story. And then you get to the outcome. So James, can you tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? One that I was thinking about was when I was at TypeSafe, the, uh, the, the company behind Scala, we were really struggling with 
how do we help people get started easily with the technology and the experience for developers to just take their first step into learning the new technology of Scala or Play Framework or Ocker or whatever was a huge step. There was, you know, for people that were totally new to the ecosystem of developer tools around that or um, way that you manage dependencies in your application or just the way that you run the tools, there's just so many different steps to learning. And so I worked with a team at TypeSafe to create something called Activator, which was a bunch of code uh, sample templates that people could easily, like you just download a zip file and start up a process which you could double click on if you don't want to use a command line and it would launch everything for you and then start you into a code sample with an associated tutorial that you could walk through and would explain all the code and would run the, the code for you. So it really eased people into that process of, of learning a new platform and a new technology. And then we had we had lots of people, hundreds of different samples that people contributed for all sorts of different types of aspects of the platform. And so it was great to see an ecosystem build around Activator just to help people learn and take their first few steps into the new technology. So, so yeah, I was really proud of, of that. And, and we had tons of people use Activator to get started learning new, new technology. And just to help ease that path really meant a lot to me. And I hope to continue doing that with, with other technologies as well. Sure. Did you get a lot of feedback from people who used it? There was a lot of feedback from the people who were really just taking their first few steps into the technology and how easy it made things and how they tried to do some other tutorial or something. And it was, you know, too many steps and too many command line things and too many things going wrong. And so there was a lot of really positive feedback on the initial experience. And it, it definitely indicated to us that, I don't know if you've seen the cartoon that's like two steps to draw an owl and you see like a couple circles and then you see like the completed owl. Yes. <laughs> and there's so much in the in the technology world that that is exactly that. It's like there's this huge gap between these steps and it and it requires people just get get lost and turned off and feel like they're inadequate and and I think you know as technology practitioners, I think it's much better if we can provide people a, a much more fluid experience and, and really kind of handhold them through as they're getting started with something new. But it's hard because when you know a technology, it's actually really hard to kind of create that experience. So, so I get that it's, it's not easy. Yeah, that's quite a skill actually, isn't it? To be able to explain something yeah. that you know so well. That's right. You, you forget You've, you've got built-in assumptions and your understanding is already there and you forget that other people don't know. So if you're to sort of go back to basics and explain something from you know from the beginning and not miss out steps, it's, it's quite a skill to have. Yeah, it is definitely a skill, but it also is, it is a skill that can be refined by just going through the process with people. So whether it's sitting down with someone one-on-one or whether it's doing a workshop or something like that, those experiences really reveal the roadblocks that people have, things that you would never imagine that people, you know, vernacular that, that we just rolls off our tongue because it's so ingrained in what we do. But to some people, like saying like command line is even, you know, this is they're new to technology, new to programming, and all of a sudden you're like launch the command line and they don't even know how to do that. You know, they've never been in a command line before. And it's hard to have that beginner's mind, but you can develop it by going to the beginners and and walking with them through those experiences. 
So, James, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? There's so much fun stuff happening right now. I'm always finding new things to learn and new things to play with. Like I love like picking up like a Raspberry Pi and trying to like wire some LEDs to it and hook them up <laughs> to like my smart weather station or whatever it is, or like try to like figure out if there's some interesting way I can use AI and ML to do something fun. There's just so much happening right now. It's kind of overwhelming, but it also is is fun for me to continue to learn new things. And and that's where I never get burn out on learning new things or, or playing with new technology. And so that definitely keeps me excited, keeps me me going. It's just the endless opportunities to learn. And I now I'm at um, Google Cloud, and there's so many great technologies to learn and play with there. And so I'm having uh, tons of fun in that world. And um, uh, But then also just like tinkering with weird stuff. Like I've been really into rockets with my kids lately. So we've been building rockets and launching them and putting GoPros in them. And, you know, just like there's, there's so many fun things that the, the rocket thing really started because I showed my daughter a video of, um, of the Falcon heavy launch and she just loved it. And so we started building rockets and obviously we're not, we're not going to build a Falcon heavy, you know, on our own, but, uh, (laughs) but maybe, you know, that it'll inspire her someday to, to build the Falcon heavy version 10 or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. You ready for this? You ready? So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I got really lucky. I was a nerd from being a, a young kid and, and just loved programming. And then when I got to college, somebody wanted to pay me to, to write code, which I was doing all the time in my free time. And so I was just, you know, like, I couldn't believe this. Like, somebody wants to pay me to do what I love? Like, I, I was just so thrilled. And so I luckily got started in a very small company where I got to do lots of different things. I got to do all sorts of programming, but then I learned system administration and network administration and all these different pieces. And it was great to learn all the different aspects to how this stuff actually comes together was super fun. Um, so yeah, there was, you know, back to that continual learning thing, but then just getting paid to learn and be a nerd and write programs <laughs> was, was pretty awesome. <laughs> what is the best career advice you've ever received? Someone told me once they said, um, it was actually critical feedback for me that I was not very dependable I was kind of flaky, and this must have been when I was in my twenties or something. <laughs> I, uh, when I was had had other things, you know, that were more interesting to me or something. But I took that feedback, and the advice was really, you know, if you want to grow in your career, be dependable, be somebody that that people, when they expect you to do something, that you actually deliver that. And so I've really tried to embrace that. It's weird because I think when you're not very dependable, you don't really notice when people aren't dependable or are dependable, it just isn't really on your radar. But when you're, when you've become a more dependable person and you depend on other people and they don't deliver, then it's like, Oh, thank goodness. Like this is a lesson that I learned because it can be really hard to work with people who you can't depend on. So be a dependable person in your work. And, and it's hard for me because I have this tendency to try to be a people pleaser. And so I definitely can overcommit and then under deliver. And, uh, and so, so I've really had to, to work on, on that part of myself and try to not commit when it's something I know I, I can't be dependent on to deliver. 
Yes, I think we could have a whole episode on that discussion uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about yes, over promising and under delivering and so forth. So yeah, I think that's maybe one to expand on another time. <laughs> yep, definitely. And what is the worst career advice you've received? I was thinking about this, and I don't, I don't know if I ever have received like terrible career advice. I think I've always been able to find some gem in what what people have advised me on and luckily i've i've actually had some wonderful advisors all around me for my entire career which has been something that i'm so grateful for to have people that have given me so much and given me so much great advice throughout my career just so many different people have come along and and played that role for me so so yeah i don't know i don't know if it's just that i've been lucky and and not had bad advice or bad managers or whatever it may be. But but yeah, I, I can't think of anything for that one. And if you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? There's some really interesting stuff happening right now around machine learning and AI. I was a math major and always loved math. When I was a kid, I would hide under my blankets in my bed at night after I was supposed to be asleep with a flashlight and my <laughs> math book. And I would do the math, just like like go way ahead of where the class was in my math book, just going through math. I jumped right from my bachelor's into my career. And so I didn't get into more of the upper division math that's become really useful in machine learning, AI, data analytics, that kind of stuff. I think if I were to begin today, I would embrace that passion for math more. And and that would probably lead me into some interesting emerging fields around computing, AI, that kind of stuff, because a lot of it is some some pretty serious math going on. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yes. (laughs) And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? The big one kind of relates to the Activator product that I told you about and that I built long ago. But similar objectives to that is I really want to improve developer journeys and experience. So making sure that as developers are moving on a journey through learning a technology and adopting a technology, that the roadblocks are being removed and that that path is being smoothed out for them. That's the big thing that I'm focused on right now. And specifically, I'm doing that with Java Spring in the cloud. And so Spring is is used by tons of developers, and I've used it a ton over the years. And, uh, and Spring is great. It's a great developer experience. And so I want to figure out how we can make sure that developers using Java Spring can easily get onto Google Cloud and, yeah, to make that, that experience nice and smooth for them. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I think the the biggest thing has just been a desire to learn. I love learning new things and uh, exploring new technologies or playing with rockets or whatever it is. Just learning new things really, really excites me. And so, so it's not necessarily technical, but I really enjoy having the opportunity to learn new things. I'm, I think I'm pretty fortunate that in my my role that I'm able to do that very often. But then even with my kids, my kids give me so many great opportunities to, to learn new things. So, so yeah, I think that's the biggest one I can think of. What do you do to keep your own career energized? I have a lot of side projects that um, allow me to continue learning and explore new things. And so um, one of those is a, a project called Web Jars that is a way for people in the Java 
ecosystem to be able to use JavaScript libraries easily in their Java applications. And so that's a little side project, but I've learned so much from doing that project. I've learned tons about functional programming. Uh, I've learned tons about Java that I didn't, things about Java I didn't know and communication. I've learned so much about how to communicate with with the people who are using web jars and the people who are contributing to web jars and, and building that community. But by having that side project is just been able to help me foster so many opportunities that have helped me grow in in many ways that I wouldn't necessarily at my at my job you know my job for some reason doesn't afford all those different opportunities and the autonomy and all that that, that a side project does and for me my side projects are usually open source on on GitHub that kind of side project but side projects can be all sorts of different things. And I know we've covered this partly, but what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I live in the mountains in Colorado, and so I'm, I'm pretty privileged to be able to go out and enjoy the, the mountains around me. Uh, so hiking, biking, uh, skiing in the winter, and being able to do all that stuff with my kids is a ton of fun. So I love to get outside and uh, you know clear my head and not think about work for a while and uh, go enjoy the, the beautiful Rocky Mountains around me. Yes, you got the best of it, haven't you? You got the <laughs> all seasons effectively covered. Yep, yep. Except for mud season. Mud season's not my favorite because <laughs> there's not much to do. You can't ski. You can't yep. bike. So, yeah. But um, that's when we go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, don't blame you. Yes. And uh, James, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? One thing I've been discovering lately is that I have something unique to share with the communities that I'm in, and it's taken me a while to realize what that is, like what it is that that I can share. And I think a big part of that is the developer experience, the developer journeys, like smoothing those journeys is something that I can share with with the communities that I'm in. And so I think everybody has something unique that they can share with their communities. That's what I encourage everyone to do is find what that is and, and share it, you know, share it with the community that you care about. Um, somebody that's helped me a lot with kind of understanding this better is Brene Brown. If, if anyone hasn't watched Brene Brown's, she has TED Talks and Netflix Talks and other talks, but they are fantastic and have helped me to better understand how I can share things that, that I have uniquely with with the world and with the communities that I'm part of. That's good advice, definitely. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? I'm on Twitter, underscore James Ward. And then on LinkedIn is James Ward. And um, yeah, and then jamesward.com is my blog. On GitHub is James Ward. So, so those are the um, best places. Yeah. I'd love to connect with anybody. And if there's anything I can help you all learn, let me know. James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, great chatting with you too. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips, advice, and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. You'll get to engage with other like-minded people 
get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.